My name is Pamela Boyce-Sims, and I am the convener of the Mid-Atlantic Transition Hub, which is uh, the east coast from southern uh, watershed in, and food shed in southern, southern Connecticut to Virginia. And it is a network of transition initiatives uh, that have representatives from each one of these states as a deliberative body and also a group of stewards who are transitioners but environmentalists uh, uh, with particular specialties and specific avocations and vocations that are key to our transitioning this region. So I convene those two deliberative bodies which are then net back, networked back into their states and uh, do a lot of training up and down up and down the east coast in that swath of states those seven states there was an article that you wrote recently that was on the transition us website and you said in it we often hesitate to override inertia and consistently creatively and compassionately reach out to those who don't look like us sound like us think like us and who rarely attend uh, transition events could you to expand on that a little bit more what's what, what's the what's the challenge for for transition groups do you think first beginning with the, the idea of convening in and of itself in this particular region and the way i like to approach it is to create space to just create a an open-ended uh safe place for possibility for people to self-express and that goes it permeates the way the operations of the network, the dynamic, and when we convene groups of people that are not necessarily used to being in the same room and spending time with each other, that is particularly important to create that spaciousness. And that's what convening means for us. Um, we have on this, in this area, a mega city corridor. It's a megalopolis of cities from New York, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Wilmington, uh, uh, Washington, D.C., down to Virginia, Norfolk, etc. And the diversity in this area is unbelievable. It's off the chart, off the chart. I don't know if there's a corridor anywhere else that is like this. And within that, we have every country on the globe represented and every faith group uh, represented as well. So it behooves us as transitioners to, in trying to diffuse an, uh, a message, to invite people to consider how we're moving towns and villages and hamlets and cities towards resilience, to create that space because we bump up against so many different types of people here. Um, so it's never imposing a matrix, it's always creating space. And for faith groups, Given what we see sweeping the planet at this point, it is particularly important to listen deeply and to give people the opportunity to um, understand what it means to respect each other deeply in this space. And that doesn't automatically happen. So convening in this region with this diversity, with this number of faith groups, just means creating a spacious environment that's safe for people. You asked the question, what outreach tools can we develop to reach organized faith communities? What, what, what are some of those tools that you found to be useful? Adopting a mindset that is a listening mindset. 
There are no set of uh, coalition building or alliance building or community organizing toolkits that can be used in this domain of extending oneself to to another person. It is um, getting oneself in a, in a place where you are seeing through someone else's lenses, you are not othering them, you are uh, opening to who is in front of you. And that is, uh, it takes practice, it takes a dynamic with, within one's own initiating group or within one's group uh, so that you're already doing that amongst yourselves so that you can offer that and be that for people that groups that are not like your initiating group or different from you. It's a mindset as opposed to a community, community organizing toolkit per se. You wrote very interestingly about the film, which I haven't seen, but, but uh, as I understand it, it kind of touched on issues around climate change, but in a faith context. How, how um, could you just tell us that story about how you used that film as a way of bringing different faith groups together? Yes, uh, we had been, the story of how the, the event came about and how we actually did that, we were putting together a, a resilient response group. We no longer use the term emergency preparedness around here. Resilience response group that included every faith tradition um, that was in our area the uh, very open-ended faith traditions as well as more established faith traditions. We had the Jewish congregations there, Baptists, all, all denominations of Christian faiths, um, as well as Buddhists. And uh, we had been talking for a time on how to create resilience in our area when Noah, that film, came over the horizon. So it, it came as a, an opportunity or a catalyst to bring people together around some really difficult questions that it's difficult to pe for people to walk up to. So um, the ministers and the, ra the rabbi offered her temple as, as, a, as a fellowship, a place for fellowship, and we developed a set of questions. Everyone, uh, it was a big potluck thing, out very transition-esque. Um, and we all developed, that group of people that had been meeting about resilient response developed a set of questions about how that really boiled down to how prepared people were. Uh, the visual of the film itself went goes right to the limbic system, the non-thinking brain, the brain that thematically takes in images so you don't have to preach, don't have to say anything to anyone. Um, uh, Russell Crowe and the cast of Noah did it for us. They, they, they made those points. And from there, uh, we were able to, with people having that visual, then... Prior to the movie, we had dinner together. We did a, a round table kind of thing, kind of a world cafe discussion of the questions to prompt thought, went to the movie together, and then debriefed uh, once people had internalized just that set of possibilities of a Nowakian deluge uh, writ large. Um, so it was, it was a fascinating discussion uh, people were brought right and put right in front of how little preparedness uh, had taken place in their community in a very safe environment and then it was brought home without a lot of verbiage 
and then people's very deep emotional reactions afterwards was was the le- the learning for everyone. It was more less prescriptive, or we're going to do this, or the next steps than the debrief was. My goodness, this is what this brought up for me. Let me take this deeper into my understanding of of what I what I should be doing myself and for my family and for my, for my community. Just some of the, uh, the the practicalities of 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 convening, bringing people together. Uh, what what's the best sort of preparation? that you can do in advance? What's the best way to invite people? What's your thoughts on that? Really best way when you have the time to do it is slow going. It is, uh, we are actually rolling out a, a, a program, uh, a curriculum called Transition Neighborhoods in the mega cities in, in, uh, along the coast at the moment. And there's a, what we call a prequel in that uh that that the curriculum and the prequel is specifically to figure out how to feel into your neighborhood feel into the different groups ethnic groups racial groups socioeconomic groups um, networks that are in your neighborhood it's to sit and contemplate for a moment who's there why are they there how did they get there Um, what is their history do they intersect? Who are the mavens in your community? Uh, is there a cafe where everyone hangs out or everybody spends time uh, where people are very comfortable with each other and there's, it's heavily trafficked? And who owns that? Who is part of that? Um, go to the places and consider the places where people already are comfortable. Be there, connect with people, and it is a person to person, can I have coffee with you? Can we get a bite to eat? Let me t- let me tell you about this. Uh, tell you about this interesting way of community building uh, with uh, against the backdrop of climate change. In conversation, if you have the time, person to person, really having scoped out what's going on in your neighborhood is the best bet. Call people, invite them over, then invite small groups of people, then start coalescing and co- convening groups of people once. Your buddies are ready. Your friends are ready. That's how that resilience response group came together that went, that orchestrated the NOAA event. We were friends. All of the, we were, we actually brought together a number of different interfaith councils. I had been representing uh, actually a monastery on one of the interfaith councils that spearheaded this, uh, that actually gets, convenes a lot of the interfaith folks. So we were all friends, had been meeting together for a while. That's what really needs to happen. It's very labor intensive and very slow going, but it is a person to person kind of thing. Email blasts are lovely after the fact. <clears throat> Social media is lovely after the fact, but it's the relationships that cement it. And then in terms of uh, the event itself, when you get people together, what's the best way to, to host that and to prepare the space in which it's going to happen? Food. <laughs> <laughs> Very carefully selected food, though, I imagine, with a number of different food foods. Food is essential. And uh, we're doing something on January 21st in New York City that's bringing together all of the different boroughs and the different neighborhoods within the boroughs. And everyone is asked to bring a dish that represents their national heritage. We will have an international cuisine tasting uh, event that sets up the entire tone of celebration of who's in the room, 
before we start talking about transition neighborhoods or transition. So just that in and of itself, a colorful buffet that represent that is truly representative of who's in the room. Um, questions as opposed to heavy duty programming. Questions that you've, you, you and your group have thought might spark discussion, inviting questions on the spot, um, and just facilitating in such a way that people feel like they can say anything they want and it's going to be honored as long as it doesn't harm another person, obviously. Um, you know, the transition way, you, there, there are ground rules and there's a container and there's a spaciousness and anything goes. Let it go where it's wherever it wants to go, basically. But you, be, convening is always about openness, I, be, I believe, anyway. It it's, produces the best results as opposed to having a trajectory that's already laid out that uh, you try not to deviate from it. That's very constricting. And then once you've once you've run your event, how how best you you mentioned using email after that. But how 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 would you harvest and distribute the the, the outcomes from that? Immediately the day after an event, a yeah. follow up gratitude email goes out, and a call to people who you've noticed in that meeting are on fire about what you've talked about. You, you know, and, and your initiating group or whoever, or the, whoever the group is convening, uh, goes into that meeting really watching and observing and listening deeply for the people who are your champions, just naturally get it and want to run with it. Those people, in addition to the email blast, which is a gratitude email the next day, um, preferably the next morning, but definitely within the next 24 hours, that those people, the champions, get a call. And then the cultivation of the relationships with those champions then that go, that go back to their groups or back to their neighborhoods and are your, your, your ambassadors. Um, so it's not always you speak, speaking. You're, you're automatically diff, diffusing and decentralizing the, meth, the, the message with people who can be champions where they are followed by um, an offering of something that is tangible, a tool people can use, whether it is an event that's, that is on mission with what you're talking what you talked about that evening uh, that's happening in the area, a really interesting article that uh, ties into what you've talked about during the evening, bringing up some of the conversations that uh, quotes from the conversations that people have that will, people will, rem will remember from the, e from the evening. So you're anchoring over and over again what a great time everybody had, uh, that, their, that their contribution was, was very much appreciated, and that this is about spreading the root system, the mycelium, the web of transition. So reach out and share your enthusiasm with everyone else. And once you've communicated that, and your champions are taking the message out after your meeting, then a strategically timed uh, email or, or e-newsletter or something that does not clog up inboxes with too much, but you so that you time uh, strategically so they're getting a constant under a feeling that they're connected to a network of people that is building, that they're not flapping in the breeze, oh, that was a nice experience flash in the pan, that's it, but it doesn't connect to anything. And in those connective follow-up emails, you're 
the message is constantly belonging and part of and the network and the the community that we're building. So those terms are also a part of uh, whatever you're sending out. And it's always that balance between too much and too little and knowing when to time it, when people are at their com computers, when they're most likely to be in a receptive mode. So follow-up can be uh, very strategic, <laughs> but very friendly, very connecting. It's just the idea is don't let the ball drop after mm. you've done an event. Over the last week or so, of course, the, 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 the terrible events that have happened in France have led a bit like after 9-11 to those discussions about what does the response look like and it feels like with 9-11 where there's well do we go this way where we sort of uh, have a whole load of new enemies and we have a new war on terror or can we go a different way and actually wage peace and I'm wondering what thoughts you might have for groups, because particularly groups that are in France and Belgium and places where this is very live at the moment, what a process in that context of starting to wage peace at the, uh, at the local scale might look like? Actually, I just had, <laughs> I've, I've been having this conversation, I guess, for the past week. Um, I convene a state, a New York statewide network of Quaker, uh, Quaker conversations. It's um, Quaker meetings are the term for congregations. And I convene an Earth Care Working Group, which is 7,000 Quakers in different um, meetings. We've been having the eco-justice conversation about what's been happening in Europe and what's been happening in the United States uh, as a result of the uh, court decisions in the U.S. and then the terrorist attacks in uh, Paris and now Belgium, actually. So that network has been talking about it, as well as the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting, which is the convocation of all of the Quaker congregations within the state of Pennsylvania, has had, had a what they call a called meeting to discuss eco-justice, social justice after these events. A called meeting means an unscheduled meeting where an issue is so salient for, for the Quaker congregations throughout a state, that they bring the entire yearly meeting, which is the statewide network together to discuss it. And they had a very specific, very specific approach. I'm a Buddhist Quaker, so I've been also been talking in Buddhist circles. You mentioned, we started out this conversation with interfaith communities, so I'm a Buddhist Quaker. The eco-Buddhist community has also been discussing it. And I just had a conversation yesterday with our transition neighborhoods person from the transition the European transition neighborhoods group in Paris who actually lived it. So in all of those networks, the Buddhist networks, the Quaker networks, and our transition cousins in the transition neighborhoods movement in Europe, um, it's headquartered in Amersfoort, Netherlands, but I was talking to the Parisian transitioner yesterday. It's all about self-examination. It's not, it's everyone, it all boiled down to we can look outward and externally at the other, the aggressor, the terrorist, the what have you. And in the United States, the grand jury system, the judicial system that is um, a, a letting, letting folks, you know, the way, depending on the way you see it, letting folks go that have committed heinous crimes against a group of people. Um, 
It's an internal process that needs to radiate out. Philadelphia Yearly Meeting and New York Yearly Meeting, for example, this is the Quaker net, statewide networks, literally brought people together to discuss in groups unpacking white privilege and what as Quakers, these thousands of Quakers throughout these two states were going to do to address in their own lives, in their own meetings, which is the term for congregation, in the committees that do that Quaker testimony and uh, that bear witness to social injustice, what they were going to do. To, it was a completely, and the same thing in the Buddhist circles, completely self-deconstruction de deconstruction of one's own baggage. Because it's what is within us that we bring to our group, whether it's a Quaker meeting or a transition initiating group, that then is writ large, larger than us individually and radiates out into society. We are society. We are uh, the perpetrators as much as the terrorists are. How we hold it, whether we condone it, whether we act to address it, what we do with it is all a function of us individually. So all of each, and the, the gentleman in Paris actually uh, He's part of what we call an, our, our not knowing circles. A not knowing circle is a group of people. This is, it, it, it's infused in transition neighborhoods in our, in the European, uh, our European hub. Um, not knowing circles are a group of people around the world that come together in cyberspace that have understood we do, just like transition, which is why it's, they asked me to be part of it, I guess, because transition understands there are no answers. This is one big experiment. It begins with self, a, a process of incessant self-transformation and not knowing in those not knowing circles, just like in the transition network, at least as we try to manifest it in the mid-Atlantic region, means that we are open to what is emergent in self-examination, in understanding ourselves and what we're here to, what our, what we're here to do this particular time. Um, in understanding that and being open to what emerges, solutions for humanity, for climate change, for resource depletion, for social injustice, for, e for eco-justice will emerge if we stay open to something that is something greater than us that is moving amongst us. Whether it is the compassionate transition ethos or whether it is Wu Wei or whether it is Quaker process or whatever it is, it's just, self-examination, listening deeply for whatever emerges, coming together in groups to share with each other what is emerging. So we have the collective genius that brings that to the surface and then radiates out from our not knowing circle or our transition initiating group or our Quaker meeting or our Buddhist Sangha. It's the not knowing and not trying to very precipitously come up with answers but to see what is emerging from within all of us. That's a very long-winded answer, but from each one of these groups, transition power, the Paris Transition Neighborhood people, the two big networks of Quaker meetings, and the eco-Buddhist community, that's exactly where people immediately went after the decisions in the United States and Paris. A lot of your work is around convening religious groups, but it feels like one of the challenges in, in the French situation is actually how you convene religious groups and secular groups. 
and that actually the the very kind of rigidly secular um, groups and the the sort of polarization between those two is really tricky. Is it is it potentially harder to actually convene religious groups and secular groups than to convene different religions, or are the challenges much the same? I think the degree of difficulty in either is that I don't want to say difficulty. The challenge is commensurate. I I see, as, as you heard me say, that the two the two religious and they don't even consider themselves religious per se. If you talk about Buddhists in particular, um, or Quakers, which are completely non-hierarchical in in the set in dynamic in terms of hearing everyone, uh, it's different for different spiritual traditions. The more established uh, lines drawn uh, religious traditions are very different than the constantly evolving by design spiritual traditions that I'm familiar with convening. So I'm coming from a very, very different place than to say religious groups per se. That being said, the difficulty or challenge in convening religious groups and or spiritual traditions, I, I view, and this is just me personally, as commensurate to convening secular and sp spiritual or religious groups because a religion per se is a collective identity. It's a collective consciousness. And that has boundaries and perimeters depending on what group you're talking about that that are belonging boundaries. And when boundaries of different groups bump up against each other, whether they're religious or spiritual, the spiritual folk is a whole other ballgame, uh, but religious groups per se, the bumping up as we see with uh, the traditional Jewish or Christian or Muslim communities, when those uh, membranes collide, it's as challenging as religious and secular. It manifests in different ways in convening these groups, but I think the challenge is equally as, um, I don't want to say daunting, but, but it's challenging, very, very, very challenging. Um, that's, I brought up the not knowing circles because in, in, in Paris, at Paris and Netherlands, or where, where it's really head, headquartered for, it intersects with the transition neighborhoods piece in Europe, uh, because it is completely secular. And I keep harping, going back to the understanding that we don't have the answers is something that is not religious or, or, or secular. It's we live in a time where change is so rapid. The acceleration is so intense that we cannot even pretend to be able to absorb, be in front of, grasp, absorb, assimilate, process, and use all the information that we're bombarded with and the reality of what's happening to this planet that we're bombarded with. So when we get into a space where religious or secular, we can say, we don't know what is necessary to serve the whole in this moment. That's the point of convening anybody, if you ask me, secular, religious, 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 spiritual. It's the recognition, understanding, and acceptance that we don't know, <laughs> we don't have the answers. What in this moment, which could change 
in the next moment will serve the totality of the people in this room, the people in this community, the people in this town, this state, this continent. What in this moment will serve everyone? To me, that is that is the point of convening as opposed to getting people to see eye to eye on any particular issue because we have such a small window into what the issue really is. Our little brains can't see that much, you know? There's something much more vast we need to tap into and be put ourselves at the, at surrender ourselves to, to deal with the acceleration and the, um, the amount of complexity we're seeing on the planet at this point. And, and lastly, I just, if, if any last thoughts you might have for transition groups who are thinking, yeah, we're not doing this convening stuff very well. We can see that in order to be more effective, we need to get more uh, different organizations, different people, different backgrounds in the room together. What would your uh, last bits of advice be for them? Your initiating group, whoever is hosting, whoever is creating the space, needs, would be wise to deeply and compassionately understand each other your own motivations for doing this work, your own reasons and motivations for reaching out to people who are not like you. Why is this important to you? Get on the same page before you open the door to your potluck to invite people in. Do Take the time to consider group dynamics, not in a formal organizational development way of forming, norming, storming, etc., but literally understand who you are personally, together as a group, because anyone walking into your space will feel who you are, will know who you are intuitively. And the degree to which your event hangs together and your groups can continue to uh, move forward and, and make things happen uh, and gain traction and momentum is a direct function of how well you know yourselves and know each other as a group and how truly open you are viscerally having explored this to the people you're inviting into your space. A superficial, we should do this because it's a good idea, will be felt by the people walking in the door at some point, maybe not that night, but as you begin to work with them and gain, if, if you continue your outreach effort, things start to fray and melt and become diffuse and people drop away because they feel your intent and how well you know each other and what your intent is in reaching out to them. So it's a very inner transition process um, that I recommend, suggest that people do before opening the doors to anyone uh, anyone, period, but especially folks that you're, you're not, you know, you don't typically reach out to in your work. 